want to talk for a minute about measuring up. Um, so help me out with this online. You can chat. You could even speak today, I think. Oh, this is good news. We've got the sound system working better. Uh, you could unmute and speak online or, or chat. And in the room to shout out, when do we get measured or judged? When does that happen? What are some ideas? Exams. Exams. Yeah, you take exams and they measure our knowledge. Yes. What are other times we get measured? Doctor's office. Doctor's office. Yeah, they keep measuring my height and my weight. Why is that, right? They measure us all the time. Yeah, to find out how are we doing. Other times we get measured. And maybe metaphorically when, uh, when we deviate from society's norms, we get measured. Yeah. See that as a chat online. Other thoughts? When we might not be tall enough for a roller coaster. When we might not be tall enough for a roller coaster. Yeah, we're not enough for something, right? We get measured. Competition. The competition, yeah. Like, let's just say a scholarship competition, perhaps. Uh, Just to take a hypothetical example. Or an art exhibit. An art exhibit. Grant proposals. Okay. A dating app. We get measured, right? Somebody looks, we meet somebody when we walk into church, right? And there's a sense that we're thinking, oh no, I just got measured. <laughs> just trying to figure out, you know, how are they dressed? What, you know, and I said something and I kind of stumbled in my words. I just got measured, right? And we often think about this, some of us more than others. And, and I want to suggest, let's see, what else? Credit score. Yeah, yeah, we get measured in terms of our finances, yeah, I just learned that in some countries, your wealth is, is public knowledge. You can go to a, a, a website and look up and you say, what, how much wealth does this person have? They felt like that was a little bit too public, so then they changed it. So every time you ask about somebody else's wealth, they tell that person you asked about their wealth. Changes how often you might ask about whom. But when we think about getting measured, I think there are three categories of us. One is some of us think, well, I'll pass. I'm a winner. I can do this, right? And some of us think, ah, anytime anybody measures me, I'm a loser. It's just not going to work, right? I'm not going to do well at this. I hate it. I just want out of it. And sometimes we think, well, maybe if I don't mess up again, right? What happens in your gut when you think, oh, I'm going to get measured for something, (laughs) right? An exam, uh, what goes through your heart? And what I want to think about is how does this affect our thinking about a relationship with God? What do we think about when we think, well, God would measure us? And do I think, well, I'll measure up to that? Or we think, oh, no. (laughs) When God says he knows all our hearts, and I think, oh, no. I might be able to justify some of my actions if I could hide my heart. And I wonder. I want to think about this for a bit. How do we think about a relationship with God and how we might measure us, and what we think will come of that. So let's pray and ask him to speak. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and pray and you listen to us. And the amazing thing is that you also speak. You speak as we pray and listen. You speak as we sing, as scripture is read. And you speak as, as we take time looking at this passage. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak in a way that we know your voice. Maybe even in ways that we're not sure exactly what all it means. And yet we know that you're speaking. 
So we ask that you would do this work today. We thank you that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title today is Growing Up Without Having to Measure Up. And we'll talk more about this drawing uh, in a few minutes. We're in the book of Romans uh, in the New Testament. I encourage you to have that um, in front of you if, uh, if you have a device or a Bible. I'll also have it on the screen. Um, and there are handouts um, that, uh, that were available at the tables, and I'm sure you can still, I think you can still get one. Um, in order to frame looking at this passage, uh, I have a, a science question. Um, anybody know what that red line is? What is, can you see that red line? You see it over there, that line that goes down there. I, I did it in green. Now, what's that red line? Anybody know? What is it? It's a range of mountains. Yeah, that's it's true. Something more significant about it. What was tectonic plates close? Continental divide. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. I just measured you all on your side. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So yeah, this is the continental divide, and it actually extends all the way down through South America as well, to the very tip of South America, right? And so we have, over on the left side, the Pacific Ocean, on the right side, the Atlantic Ocean. So here's what it means to be the continental divide. If a raindrop falls on the left side of this line, it ends up in the Pacific Ocean. And if a raindrop falls, okay, there's a raindrop. Well, I I put this up here to, to, to illustrate Wherever it falls over here, it's going to make it to the Pacific Ocean. Now, it might not go directly there. It might go back and forth a bit, but eventually it's going to make it, okay, I know I have some people saying, well, what about evaporation? Yeah, some of it evaporates, but if it doesn't evaporate, that's where it's headed. On the other side, any raindrop that falls over on the right side ends up in the Atlantic Ocean, right? So if it falls on the left side, so there's a, a raindrop, and again, it's got to make its way across, right? And it's going to go up and down. Well, not so much up, but left and right, and it's going to work its way there. So if it falls on the left side, the Pacific Ocean wins. If it falls on the right side, the Atlantic Ocean wins. Now, here's a really important thing to know about this. There are not two kinds of raindrops. There's not a Pacific raindrop and an Atlantic raindrop, right? There's one kind of raindrop, But depending on where it falls, it's going to end up in one of these two places. So, I'm telling you this because this is, I think, fundamental to understanding what this chapter is saying. Because instead of just thinking about a continental divide, Romans teaches us about a cosmic divide. And and over on the left side is what the author calls the flesh. Um, And the flesh is not so much about having a body, but the flesh is just being human, doing what people do, right? And it's living according to merely human ways and human powers. So that's, that's like the Pacific Ocean. And then over to the Atlantic Ocean, then we're in the area that's the spirit, right? And the spirit is being a child of God in Jesus. And and he's going to go back and forth in these two things. And so on, on the flesh, by nature, on the flesh side, everything decays and dies. And that's the way nature works, right? We know this. Every human being decays and dies. Some of us think that's optional. I didn't have to sign up for that class. But it happens, right, for every last one of us. And, and even the whole universe, all that's living in the universe, will eventually decay and die, right? So eventually, everything on that side decays and dies. But on the spirit side... Whatever's in Christ lives forever. 
Right? So over here on the Pacific side, on the flesh side, death wins. And over here, Christ wins. So which side do you want to be on? <laughs> Not hard to figure that out. The question is, how does it happen? Right? How, does, how does something or someone get from that side of the flesh to the side of the spirit? And in this chapter, it talks about this idea of being adopted. The idea of being adopted by God. It, it describes being adopted by God by a gift, by this, this term of grace. It's just God being generous and kind through faith, through trust. And, and so just like somebody doesn't get adopted in a family because they paid enough money or they were good enough, they were adopted because somebody said, we want to love you. And God says, I want to love you. And he says, if you will trust me, I will adopt you. And that will take you from being in the, the, the realm, the area of the flesh, into the area of the spirit. From the place where everything dies to the place where everything lives. And so this is really critical. There aren't two kinds of raindrops. And there aren't two kinds of people. They're not, there's not the kind of people that, well, they're just kind of the, the dying kind of people and there's a kind of the living kind of people. And actually, in this letter to the church in Rome, there are some people who thought that way. They said if you were born into a family of believers, a family of people who knew God, well, you just naturally are in this, on this right side. or um, Yeah, the right side in the spirit. And if you didn't, you're naturally over on the other side. You need extra help. Some of us don't need all that help, and, and that's not the case. There aren't two kinds of people. So this passage we're going to look at says there's this realm of the flesh, and there's this realm of the spirit, and the flesh, everything dies. In the spirit, everything lives. And the way you get over there is being adopted by God through faith. So let's look at this passage, Romans 8. And we'll just walk through the first 17 verses. Uh, Romans 8, starting at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're going to take a little bit of time to look at this. I have to say two things about this chapter. One is, people who write about chapters in the Bible say this is the greatest. <laughs> this is the one beyond all others, this whole chapter. And there is so much written about this chapter. There's so much to dig into and understand. We're just scratching the surface. I have so much more to know and understand and to learn, but there are powerful things we can see. So he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. That, that if you're in the spirit side, if you're in Christ, there's no more being judged as not being worthy, as not being welcomed. There's no more getting cast out, being rejected. No more. There is no condemnation, no judgment. Or to put it a different way, uh, you know, I, I've, I've often referred to this poetic technique of lightities. Lightities says if we, if we say it's not a negative thing, we're really emphasizing it's the positive thing. So the author is not just saying that you won't be rejected by God. He's saying you will be loved and welcomed by God. 
God will see and say, you are mine, you are welcome, you are deeply loved. He says, if you're on the spirit side, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are loved so much. And there's never a risk of being rejected by him. And this is for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes back over to the other side and says, what the law was powerless to do. The law says, here's how you're going to get measured. Be really good. Always do good things. Always mean to do good things. Always say good things. And this law says, if you do all of that just right, you'll be okay. But it can't help you do it. This law doesn't help you be better. It just says you should be better. Probably some of us have some friends who are just like that. (laughs) They don't help us be better. They tell us we should be better. You should be better than what you're doing. This is what the law does. It's powerless to help us. What we couldn't do, he says, here's how we get across. God did it by sending his own son. Jesus came and was the completion of what we have to do. See, God did in Jesus what we cannot do. He perfectly measured up, and we can't do that, but he did. And he says, if, if we will trust, by trusting in Jesus' work, we're freed from judgment. We're freed from rejection. We're freed from fear. Jesus did what we can't do, and he says, God will adopt you, will bring you over to the side of the Spirit. So in verse 5, he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So here you see the author makes this really clear distinction that that those who live according to the flesh, that is those who are on the flesh side, right on the flesh side of the cosmic divide of just doing the best that people know to do, then they're going to live with those desires. But the ones who live on the spirit side, who live according to the spirit, they're the ones who live on the spirit side. And they set their mind on what the spirit desires. And and so then he says, the mind governed by the flesh. Well, this is kind of like the gravity on the Pacific side, right? It's saying on the Pacific side, there's a gravity that just pulls us deeper into a human orientation to life and farther away from God. And he says, the mind governed by the flesh, the mind pulled by gravity on the flesh side. The description of this is death. Because see, every bit closer we get to the Pacific Ocean, to that side, it's a step closer to death, to being separated completely. But he says, the mind governed by the Spirit, right? the mind that's being pulled toward the Spirit side, that the gravity is pulling this way, this mind is life and peace. So he says this, that every person is in one of these two realms. The cosmic divide says... Every one of us is either on the flesh side, trusting in good work and hard work and other paths and good people, and it's trusting things other than God. Or we're on the spirit side, trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection for us. 
says, that's every one of us. This is a cosmic divide. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what your family was like. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have. Every one of us is in one of these two realms, either on the side of the flesh, trusting in humanity, or on the side of the spirit, trusting in God. And the one leads to death. The other leads to life and peace. And so then he speaks specifically to people now who are on the spirit side. Verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So just to see a few things here, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. He says, I'm talking to you as as believers in Jesus. You're not in this realm of the flesh that's leading to death. He says, you're in the realm of the spirit. But he says, if. If, and now this is profound, right? Because we've been talking about being in the realm of the Spirit, but he says, you're over here if the Spirit of God lives in you. And this is startling. He says, not only do we live in God, but if we're in this realm of the Spirit, God lives in us. The Spirit of God lives in you. He goes on, but if Christ is in you, he goes on and says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he says again, because the Spirit who lives in you Being on the Spirit's side is to have God living within us. The the Spirit of God, the living God, the life-giving God to be living us. And he says, if you are in Christ, then the Spirit gives life. And he says, the Spirit gives life to us today. He says, you know what? Our bodies, they'll still die. We still deal with a physical death. But he says, you know what? Even when that happens... God will give life to your physical body. You will live. The Spirit gives life now and forever. And so then he goes on to say, there are some implications for this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live He says, we have an obligation. He says, I'm talking to people who live over here on the side of the Spirit. You have an obligation. It's not to the flesh. It's not to live over this way, to be good enough, to to follow all the rules that it says. We have an obligation over here. And he describes it like this. It's to put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's to put to death the ways that aren't like God. He says, if you live over here, you have an obligation now to follow God. Now there's an obligation over here that says if you're not good enough, you will die. Over here, it says if you're alive, you need to grow. It's not the fear of death, it's the desire for life. So you notice the, 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 uh, the way he speaks in 13. If you live according to the flesh, if you live over here, you will die. But over here, if you put to death what is not like God, you'll live. See, everyone has an obligation. Every one of us. Either 
we have an obligation to the flesh which says, if you're perfect, great. Every thought, every word, every action, you're okay. Or you got to pay with your life. And there's an obligation. There's, there, there's a judgment against us, and we're not free without paying it, but we have to pay as our whole life. Over here, he says, in the realm of the Spirit, we have an obligation, and that's an obligation to grow. So the way I think about it, um, so Jim and Jean are brand-new grandparents. Uh, such good news. We're excited. Oh, we got to give my hand. This is so good. Oh, it's so good. You know what happens when babies are born? They desperately want to live. They want to breathe. They want to eat. They want to cry. They want to live. Right? And sometimes you might have to give them a little encouragement to take that first breath. But once they do, you can't stop them from doing it. That's what he says is going on. That if you have the living God living in you, you have in you a drive to live that says, I want to breathe, I want to grow, I want to eat, I want to cry out, right? It's, it's, it's real, and, and if baby doesn't have that, something is desperately wrong. And if somebody has God living in them, he says, well, I don't really care about growing much. We say, are they really alive? Right? Because that's what it's like when things are alive. There's a deep desire to say, I want to grow. And so then verse 14, he says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. He says, if we're over on this side, if we have the Spirit of God, if we live in the Spirit, he says, then you're children of God. You are God's kids. And guess what? When kids get in trouble, we say, we're the parents. They better take some control here, right? When we're in trouble, we become, God, we become God's trouble when we're his kids. He says, I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to come and, and I deal with you because you're my children. He says, if you have the spirit of God, you're actually the children of God. He says, there is an adoption to sonship, to the status. And so this is significant in the Roman world. That adoption was the means by somebody who was not a physical child could be completely like the physical child, like the biological child, right? Somebody who wasn't born into the family, but when they adopt them, that child becomes completely like the children who were biologically a part of this family. Nobody is born as a child into God's family. Every single one of us is adopted, right? Is, is, is adopted by God when God says, in your faith, I will draw you in. I will adopt you. And so he says, the Spirit testifies in our spirit. We are God's children. And this, this expression, Abba, Father, we sang that today, puts Abba, Father on our lips. This, this word that is a child crying out saying, you're my father. Right? Imagine a, a, a child who's desperately needing help saying, Mom, Dad, would you help me? 
And he says, the Spirit puts that in us to say, we know we can cry out to God and say, God, would you help me? And we expect he will because we're his children. But then he says this really startling thing. He says, and if you're children, then you're going to be heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so, right, children who were born into a family, someday there's the potential of inheriting what their parents owned when their parents die. They don't have it yet, right? There's something that the parents say, it's going to be yours, but you don't have it yet. And he says, if you're a child of God, you have an inheritance. You haven't experienced it yet. It hasn't been given to you yet, but it's yours when the time is right. And so when you think about an inheritance, you think, well, it would be nice to inherit from somebody who has a lot of resources. (laughs) Well, consider God. I think God has a lot of resources, (laughs) And he says, if you're a child of God, you are an heir of God. One day you will experience the riches of God. And and to me, it's even more startling to say, we're co-heirs with Christ, with Jesus Christ and all that he will inherit it. We are co-heirs with him. We're alongside him in receiving the riches of the Father. So, So he says that those who are in the Spirit, who are on the Spirit's side, We're children today and forever. But in the future, we will experience the inheritance, the riches that are beyond comparison, the the good that is is beyond imagination. It says we're children today and that is great, but there's a day coming when we will experience the full riches of what God has. And he says the reality is there might be some struggles until then. Right? He says, if we share in his sufferings, that, that Jesus struggled in life. He suffered in life. And, and he was an heir. He was going to inherit all these riches, all the honor and the glory from the Father. And he says, well, that's us too. You see, when you live on the side of the Spirit, today, it doesn't make it all easy. There's a promise that one day it will all be overwhelmingly good. See, being a Christian is being alive in the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's being alive on the side of the Spirit. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's to say, I was in the natural way, in the flesh. Just everybody by default is in the side and it all decays and dies. And then God says, if you'll turn to me in Jesus, if you will trust, you will be in the Spirit The Spirit of God will live in you. You'll become children of God. And you will be promised the inheritance of the riches of the creator of the universe. And when we're alive over here, then we're obligated to truly live. Right? Just like the baby who's born and says, I want to breathe, I want to eat, I want to grow, I want to learn new things. We have an obligation to grow in this thing that has been given to us, that is guaranteed to us. So back to this cosmic divide. Remember, we had the flesh, and and the side is trusting in, in human ways and human powers and saying, if I'll be good enough, it'll be fine. Everything dies there. In the spirit, this is being a child of God and Jesus, where Christ wins and life wins. And this journey between the two is to be adopted is to have a God who says, because of what 
Jesus did, what my son did, as a gift, if you'll trust me, you will be adopted. And again, to be really clear, there aren't two kinds of people. They're not the people who are, happen to be born on the right side of this line. Everybody is born in the natural side, in the flesh side. And the invitation to everybody is to trust. So uh, my thanks to Karen for, for these drawings. Um, this is a, uh, somebody climbing a cliff. And uh, thankful for the chances we've had to do this. Thankful that we, uh, we had ropes and things to protect us. <laughs> but life can be like climbing an impossible cliff. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And you know one of the things that I notice about life is we think that this part of the climb is the hardest part of the climb until I get past it and I experience the next part of the climb. I think, oh, this is the hardest part of the climb. Right? Then I get past that and I keep thinking, oh, you know, this is the hard part. Making relationships and, and friendships with people and when I'm in junior high, this is really hard. And it is. Until you get to high school and then it's really hard there. And then you go to the next thing, it's really hard. Then you think, oh, if I just get married, then it'll be easy. Then you discover, well, that can be really hard too. Well, if I just have kids, then it'll be okay. Oh, right? We think our part is the hardest part until we get to the next part. Life can be like climbing an impossible cliff. And yet we don't just climb it. You see, sometimes it feels like we've got all this baggage, right? We don't start climbing the cliff with everything being equal. We say, you know what? I've got baggage from my childhood. <laughs> I've got baggage from past relationships and friendships and trouble and ways that I failed. And I got all this baggage. I've been wounded. And so life in the flesh adds a weight that we could never carry. And, and the reality is, I'm sure you can't see it, but, but there are actually tentacles that hold this giant burden to the ground. This is why Romans 8 says, the mind governed by the flesh does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. When we live in the flesh, there is so much weighing us down, even when we mean to do our best, we fail. There's so many burdens that weigh us down. And so, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. You can't make it. You can't make it up this mountain. It won't work with all these burdens, even when we're doing our very best to do the best things. So you can't do it. But he says, if you'll join the side of the Spirit, if you'll be adopted by God, then it changes. The burden that's beneath us is cut away, and now there is a rope that pulls us to the top. See, life in the Spirit means we cannot fall. He says, all that's required Jesus did that, and it's now to your credit. All done. Everything that you have to measure up to, it's done. You're finished. See, what we couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came to be just like us with all our burdens and all our troubles and all our failures. He put them on himself. He didn't deserve it. He'd never done anything wrong, but he said, I'll take all of that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us as a gift. To say, as a gift, as if you did everything perfectly. And so this is why he says, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, 
The Spirit gives life because of Christ's righteousness. And so we have an obligation, and, and it's kind of subtle, but you know there's some slack in the line that's going up, right? So, so this is not the way you're supposed to climb a cliff where you get the harness on, and then you stand there and you say, okay, start pulling me up, <laughs> right? You climb on your own, but there's a rope that will rescue you. And years ago, I had the chance to climb in something called post office. It was this, this rock climb, and, and there was an overhang, right? So you're going up this cliff, and then it comes back out like this, and here's what you do. They call it post office because you take your hand, you put it up in the hole, you turn it, and you make a fist. And then you're supposed to be able to pull on that. You just can hang on that hand, and you pull like this, and you reach over the top. <laughs> Turns out I couldn't do it. <laughs> but the person on the rope said, I'll give you some help. Right? So I put my fist, my hand up, I turned it, and I pulled, and I couldn't do much. But then all of a sudden, the rope started pulling. It's like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> the rope pulled until I could reach over the top. See, it's something like that what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says, you have an obligation to try. And yet there's a power that's beyond you that will be a part of this. See, being a Christian is being alive in the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. And when we're alive in Him, then we're obligated, then we want to truly live. See, application today, first of all, is to enter the realm of the Spirit through Jesus. It's to be in this new realm, not the realm of the flesh where everything dies, but in the realm of the Spirit where everything lives. See, pleasing God over on the flesh side, it's impossible. We'll never do it. We can't make it. We fail over and over. And God did the impossible by sending his son, Jesus. And so he says, for those who trust in him, for those who are adopted by him, the righteous requirements are fully met. I no longer have to measure up. Just like once you were a child, you don't have to do anything to stay a child. You do need to do things to be in the love of your parents, to grow, but you don't have to do anything to stay a child. And so he says in this, there's no possibility of condemnation. When God adopts you, you are his. To say it again, life in the flesh cannot please God. Life in the spirit cannot be rejected by God. Right? We no longer have to measure up. And when we have to measure up, then there is fear. Instead, we have a great peace and contentment. So this is why there's, you know, the idea of an imposter syndrome. Somebody says, I got this position, but I'm not sure I can live up to it. And maybe they, I, I represent something, so this is why I'm here. When someone says to you, you're not good enough to be a Christian, we say, well, of course not. That's not what it is to be a Christian. That's over on the flesh side. That's where you have to be good enough. Over here, you have to trust. And my trust isn't great, but my trust is real. And I'm here because of him. So we're to, to enter the realm of the Spirit through Jesus. And then to be there is truly live. Being led and empowered by the Spirit. Right, that, that is to have our, lives determined, have our life determined and directed by the values and the power of the Spirit. Right? And so this is the great thing. When you, when you think about being on this side of the continental divide, what gets the water dropped to the Atlantic? Well, gravity does the right thing over here. Gravity pulls me that way. And the reality is once we are alive in the Spirit, 
by passion and by gravity, by passion and by the work of the Spirit, we go that direction. It's both. It's the work of God and it is our desire. So uh, somebody made the statement, helpful to me, but challenging. Those who do not do battle against sin show no evidence that they are in the realm of the Spirit. Right? Somebody says, well, I'm taken care of, so it doesn't really matter what I do now. They're not showing any evidence that truly the Spirit of God is living in them. Or to put it a different way, obedience is a necessary and possible aspect of being a Christian. Right? When a baby cries out because it wants nourishment, that's proof of the life that's in it. When somebody cries out for God to be at work, to bring life, it's evidence that the Spirit of God is at work, that there is life. And so we should be in a place of great passion and drive without fear or guilt. Right? It's a passion and a drive to grow. It's not because, oh no, if I don't, I'll be rejected. It's a drive that says, God's in me and he's at work and I want to be like him. So we have, uh, we have two dogs. One of them loves to run. She just runs constantly. She would run as fast and as far as she can. And we didn't teach her to do this. <laughs> but there's a place where we have a bunch of pine cones. And there's something in this dog that says, if a pine cone moves, I'm going to catch it. And so just I watch her till she drops. I pick up a pine cone and I throw it as far as I can. And she runs as fast as she can over there. She goes and gets it. And I pick up another pine cone and I look this way. And she starts running. And so I throw it that way. She goes as fast as she can. I pick up another pine cone. I say, look at this. And she will go back and forth like this, nonstop until she collapses. And she'll keep looking for more. Right? Not because she's afraid that I'm going to reject her as my dog if she doesn't do it. (laughs) Because there's a drive in her that says, if it moves, I'm running. (laughs) This is what God intends for his people. To say, there's a drive in me that says, I want to be like him. I want to pursue this. I want to be more like Jesus. Not because I feel guilty if I don't, although I do, (laughs) but the drive is love for him and his life in me. So in a simple way for me, it's kind of like playing basketball. Take a basketball and throw it in a court and there's something in me that says, I better go get that basketball, right? Other forms of exercise, nah, not so much. Running, uh, I'll do it if I have to. But bounce the basketball, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. Right? There's something in me that says, let's do it. This is God's intention of his people, is that when it's truly life, we say, I want to be like him. Will you help me? So we want to enter into the realm of the Spirit. We want to grow to be more like him, and then to joyfully anticipate our inheritance. Right? To realize that those who trust in Christ are children of God today. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to be loved by God and for God to say, you are mine. And it's astounding that we also have a guaranteed future of boundless joy. We don't experience all of that yet. We get a taste of it. That someday we're promised we'll be fully experiencing all of God's love and provisions, completely free from all the effects of sin and death. And that is an amazing gift to us. We're told that Jesus went through hard times by looking forward and setting his hope on his inheritance. We're invited to do that. So let me just tell you what I often see in myself. And and maybe it's true of you, maybe it's not. But in thinking about the drive for things, 
uh, I want to tell you what seems normal and then what I think the Spirit offers. Here's what I see in this drive to be a better person. What I often see in myself is a drudging, weighed-down effort to grow. I've tried this before, and I didn't change, and I feel bad about it, but I better change now. And the more I try it and don't make success, the more I get weighed down by it and say, I'm not sure it'll ever change. And I can tell you stories in my life where I think this is never going to change. God, would you change this? I'll memorize scripture, I'll pray, I'll talk to people, and you can change it. And it doesn't change. And I think, where is it? And I get weighed down and drudging efforts to grow. And then sadly, sometimes, it becomes a complacency. It's like, well, I guess it's not going to happen. Right? And just say, well, I'm just being human. (laughs) It's just who I am. Yeah, bitterness, it's just part of who I am. I can tell you the stories. Just who I am. I, I, I just, and there's complacency. So I'm not going to grow more. And what the Spirit offers is something so different because this is joy and contentment that says I am fully loved. And there's a joy. I've got a future that's mine. It's guaranteed. And I can have joy and contentment and a passionate drive for growth. And I think that's beautiful. When somebody says, I am driven to be more like my God out of joy and contentment rather than out of guilt and fear. Saying, oh, I'd better do that. Right? But when there's a drive that says, this is the Spirit of God in us that says, I want to be more like Him. A joy and a contentment. And the drive to be like Him. See, being a Christian is being alive with the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. And when we are, then we're obligated to truly live. In fact, we cannot help but truly live. So, when we are adopted into the realm of the Spirit, we live with a joy and contentment in the love of God and with a passionate drive to grow in Him. And the good thing is that we can joyfully grow up without having to measure up. No more fear, no more guilt over having failed to be what I ought to be, no more shame. We have the life of God in us entirely as a gift. The writer says, therefore, there is never a need to be afraid that you'll be rejected by God again, that you'll be judged and found not worthy because Jesus has done it. We're invited into this to be adopted and to live in the Spirit and to truly live, becoming more like Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this amazing gift. We thank you that for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we've been adopted, that our status is secure, that you love us, you're committed to us. We ask that you would cause your life to grow in us, that your spirit would be powerful in us. Help us to have great hope in the inheritance that is ours. And Father, I pray for any who long for this and know it's not theirs yet, that you would, Holy Spirit, open their hearts. Lots of questions, so much more to know and understand, and yet a deep desire to know the love of God through Jesus. I pray that you'd open hearts and give the joy of having the living God love us and live within us. We thank you for such love. In Jesus we pray. Amen.